Um, so I'll now introduce Heidi Jokos, who's our MC for the day. Um, so Heidi is a prominent business reporter for 24-hour news channel uh, ENCA. She has experience across, uh, across the board in print radio as well as broadcasting, and her main focus has been covering business, labor, markets, and the economy. Over 2019, she has also covered two big inquiries happening within South Africa, and in her time at ENCA, Heidi has interviewed a number of presidents, CEOs, ministers, and business leaders. She started her career off at Caxton, CNBC, Africa, and the Star newspaper, and she has also done work for the World Economic Forum uh, on Africa. Heidi has an honors degree in communication studies and a BA in journalism from the University of Johannesburg, and she was also nominated for the Nat Nakasa Award, yeah, that's correct, <laughs> for courageous journalism, and her passion is Africa. So, ladies and gentlemen, Again, thank you for coming, and as I hand over to our MC for the day, I'd like to declare the first Actuarial Society of South Africa's Alternative Investment Seminar open. Thank you. Thank you so much, Malizole. I appreciate it. Uh, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. I'm delighted to be with you here today. My name is Heidi Jokos from ENCA. Uh, we have a very busy day ahead, so I hope you're all ready. Um, I'll be joining you for a few of the conversations, and I just want to make note of the fact that we are really living in some interesting times, from trade wars to Brexit to bond yields pointing to a recession in the U.S., and uh, it's, you know we're really living in very uncertain times. Looking back here at home, we have weak economic growth, rising debt, and social tensions, and they're all framing our investment decisions, and of course, this is the conversations that we'll be having today. Uh, you know, we all need to look at how this is all affecting investors at a micro level uh, and how this is affecting our, us maximizing our returns uh, without taking unnecessary risks. So without further ado, um, I'd like to call up our first panel uh, panelists for our first panel discussion on infrastructure. We'll be looking at uh, infrastructure, what it's all about, and the role of alternative investments in today's institution and markets, uh, and how infrastructure has a vital role to play in that. So if I can call up my panelists, if you can all just come up and have a seat. Johan Human, an Actuary Infrastructure Fund Manager, Malizole Mdigilizela, so Chair of Actuarial Society of South Africa Alternative Investment Forum, and Duduza Kosana uh, from Batitsa, the Council of Retirement Funds. If I can all ask you to just come up and have a seat for me. Uh, Duduza, I'd like to start off with you. Uh, perhaps if you can just explain to us, um, you know, the role and what actually Batitsa does, and um, specifically in, in the infrastructure space. Good morning, everyone. Um, as um, I was introduced, my name is Duduza Kosana, and I serve as the board secretary for Batseta Council for Retirement Funds. Batseta is an institution that serves as a voice for the retirement fund, funds industry. Um, all funds that are affiliated to Batseta. So we use Batseta as an, um, an organization that then speaks a common voice for all retirement funds. All developments that happen within the industry um, gets channeled through Batseta. So the, Batseta brings together the retirement funds to ensure that we are informed of developments within the industry and, and within the economy of our country and beyond. They bring common purpose stakeholders together to ensure that whatever developments that we embark on are relevant to the industry and other things. Great. Just speak to us about, uh, from your experience, how do pension funds view infrastructure um, at this stage? Okay. The retirement funds industry, as I said earlier, holds regular fora where information and topical matters and developments within the industry that may have potential for uh, impact on the industry are shared and discussed. Um, infrastructure development is no different. Since the advent of uh, this topic and the need for impact investment, the industry has been engaging on the subject. It hasn't been easy 
at the beginning because it is not necessarily a well understood um, area of investment. Um, and also given what is happening in our country and the continent and the, uh, uh, globally, whether you are talking about um, social non-development of what is required to ensure that the economy grows. Infrastructure investment is not something that comes naturally. We've got all the different asset classes. This becomes another asset class. But how we are going to ensure that it gets incorporated into the currently existing Regulation 28 that governs how pension funds invest is also still something that is not a common um, phenomenon to the industry, nor the government. So we are still grappling with, we understand the need, we understand that with our assets, collectively four trillion in the industry, we can make a huge impact. But it is how we make that impact and still ensure that the objective, the primary objective of ensuring that hard-earned savings of members of these funds are still retained and these members are uh, allowed to retire when they do as comfortably as possible. Great, thank you. Amalizoli, let me bring you into the conversation. Uh, perhaps speak to us about the beginning of the actuarial involvement in pension funds, um, as well as the, you know, the design of investment strategies. Give us, give us the intelligent yeah. answer that we need. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so effectively, I mean, the actuarial profession is one that has its roots within life insurance and pensions, right? So traditionally, really, what, what the, 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 the challenge or the problem that we seek to address is how much should you um, contribute now and how should you invest that money in such a way that at retirement, 40, 50 years from now, you are able to pay a monthly pension of X amount, increasing with inflation effectively. That's the heart. I mean, if I had to summarize it really in one phrase, I think that's what we do as, pension, as um, actuaries within the pension space. So obviously, I mean, it's a lot more complex than that. There's a lot of um, sort of moving parts that we need to take into consideration when we design those investment strategies. Um, so coming back to the point, I mean, investment, the investment strategy that you do end up going with effectively has a critical role to play because the horizon is so long, right? Because you're looking at an investment period of 40 uh, or so plus years. Um, so the inclusion of um, certain assets to the exclusion of others uh, is a critical sort of factor when it comes to that effectively. So that's by and large um, the role that uh, actuaries have to play within the pension space. What has happened over time, so previously there were a lot more uh, what we call defined uh, benefit funds, uh, which basically say that regardless of what happens in the interim period uh, during contribution and investment, a benefit of X amount will be paid uh, at the time that you retire. So during the late sort of 80s and the 90s, uh, there was uh, quite a lot of conversions from defined benefit to, co to, uh, to defined contribution, uh, where effectively you are not necessarily targeting a set amount of pension uh, per month at retirement, but you are effectively accumulating your um, pension contributions up into a savings account um, held in various assets. And then at retirement, you can either sort of draw down from that savings pool or you can purchase an annuity um, from a life insurer or out in the market or it could be an in-fund annuity effectively. So the role has evolved. Uh, that's sort of been one significant change that has happened over the years within the pension space. But hence the, the role of the actuary within the pension space has evolved. But we still have a, a, a pretty significant role to play uh, overall within the pensions um, uh, industry and community. Great. Uh, Johan, perhaps speak to us about the infrastructure funding gap um, and the likes of the Development Bank of South Africa has a role to play in that kind of, in that kind of space. Thanks, Heidi. <laughs> um, firstly, I obviously can't speak on behalf of the DBSA uh, and on behalf of DFIs as, as I don't represent them, but I've, I've worked quite extensively with them um, in the infrastructure uh, funding space and project development. Maybe the first point to raise is this, this infrastructure funding gap is not a South African issue, it's not an African issue, it's a worldwide issue. 
it's across economies, across continents, uh, and, 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 and the infrastructure funding gap is almost infinite. Um, I don't think there's one country in the world that'll tell you that they've got enough infrastructure and, you know, we're okay. Um, it is, different people will estimate different numbers, but the, the number I've got in front of me is 120 trillion needs to be invested in infrastructure to maintain current economic growth rates until 2030. So, so somehow we've got to find a way just to maintain our current economic growth rates to invest a significant amount of money. Um, and, and, and that will require a few things, uh, changes in the, in the, um, in the regulation of, of pension funds. I think uh, that issue was raised, Regulation 28. Um, we certainly need a better pipeline of well-developed infrastructure projects. Uh, it's, it's no good saying, you know, invest in infrastructure and then there's not a bankable or an investable project uh, available to, to invest in. Uh, one of the other issues that we uh, find, particularly in Africa, is that we need some we need solid cross-border investment principles. Um, currency is, is is one issue, but there are also cross-border uh, legal investment principles that that that, that need to be established. Um, and finally, uh, and, and is is real real market transparency and standardisation. I think in the infrastructure space we see that. You know, the potential of the, the, the market and the investment that is required is significant. Um, multiples of that in the hedge fund space, for example, whereas we've got 100 different hedge funds in this country and a, a lot of, it, a lot of, I think Warren Buffett calls them helpers, a lot of, inf a lot of, a lot of infrastructure to, to bring clarity to the market, you know, to mar allow the market to function properly, funds set up, uh, people that can advise indices, all of these things are in place for a relatively small asset class such as hedge funds, but it doesn't really exist and it's still being developed um, you know, in the infrastructure space. From a DFI perspective, and that's, I think that's the question that you asked, um, they've also, uh, DFIs see themselves as playing a, an enabling role in, in, in this environment, and they have been very active. If we look, for example, in areas where I have some experience, uh, the, the Renewable Energy Program, DFIs were very, very much involved in, in, in funding parts of that program, um, DBSA being one of them. Um, they, 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 they see themselves, uh, in my view, as a bridge between government and, and, and the private sector, which is, which is very useful, um, and, and they, can, they, can, they can bring their influence um, in, in, into that space. They also have lower return requirements, so their risk return requirements is such that if they use their so-called blended finance model, um, they can make it more viable for commercial investors to enter into projects. Um, what I'm aware of at the moment, uh, and, and I can't, as I said, I can't speak on their behalf, um, but there's a lot of focus within DBSA in terms of project preparation and, and building a pipeline of they call them bankable projects. I prefer to say investable projects. Uh, so that is, that, is, that is where the focus is and a lot of funding is being applied at the moment. Uh, Duduza, I would like to ask you and bring you in here. Um, you know, do you think there is enough availability of infrastructure projects in South Africa and on the African continent? Um, and also linked to that question, do you think that there's a shortage of infrastructure fund managers and do you think that's actually an issue in terms of the infrastructure space and, and investment in that space? Um, projects, uh, the question maybe to ask is, um, is there no project that should be, given the fact that there's such a shortage of funding, is it because of the shortage of, of projects. If you look at South Africa alone, everything needs to be invested in. Um, there is a lack of development socially for, for infrastructure for the citizens of South Africa um, at large. So you, you look at housing, social housing, there's a huge need there. Um, the challenge is how do we embark on it and fund it and still ensure that it is sustainable both for the industry 
the retirement funds industry and for the citizens of South Africa. Because there is no, um, there is no point in saving money for citizens that are going to retire and there is nowhere to live. You look at the services that are provided by the government. Um, very recently, we were informed that um, we, all the SOEs in South Africa are in deficit um, to the extent of one trillion. Now, if you look at that, it is about 22% of our GDP. Therefore, there is no money from the government to invest in these um, projects. All of them, all the social, be it, be it education, be it student housing, be it just feeding the previously man marginalized. There is a whole lot. It is very overwhelming. So it is for us to structure the funding and the projects to match the projects, but the projects, as, as it has been mentioned, need to be the, the buzzword is bankable, but they need to be investable and they need to be sustainable enough to can sustain the retirement funds returns as well. I want to ask you this question because we know that you know the Chinese are heavily invested. They always try and get the big tickets in infrastructure um, from railways to roads. Um, you know, are Africans in essence competing with China and why are the Chinese able to secure such big projects in infrastructure and where is South Africa lacking in terms of that? Um, I'm going to speak for the industry. Um, it hasn't always been a point of focus. We've had Regulation 28 as an industry. We've always invested based on the requirements of Regulation 28. But now we are forced, so it's, it's no longer about choice in South Africa. It's about what needs to be done. So we're not even looking at who we are competing with. We are trying to get the basics right. And the requirements are such that we need to have relevant projects that are going to get the basics right so that, that whatever investment we make is sustainable into the future. To me about uh, the current governance structure around pension funds. Is it optimal and you know what do we do about it? Yeah, so based off of my experience with uh, a lot of pension funds within the work that we, we've done uh, as the Alternative Investments Forum, yes and no. Um, obviously what has what is in place currently has been working for a significant amount of time and that's fine. There's no need to necessarily touch or tweak that but there's been a growing sort of number of concerns across uh, pension fund boards and trustees, et cetera, that, you know, are we being given, you know, the best advice that we can possibly receive in terms of how we invest our, our money, what investment strategies we end up going with, the manager selection process, et cetera. Uh, is this, you know, the optimal sort of structure that can be put in place effectively? Within our profession, there's something uh, which is called, you know, I guess within a lot of other professions as well, um, you know, peer review of um, whatever sort of significant advice that we might need to give as actuaries or as uh, whatever other professionals effectively. So I think there's a call for that model to, to be implemented within the governance structures of pension funds uh, in order for them, because at the end of the day, you know, uh, advisors are only advisors, right? They can only say what they sort of recommend or feel is best, but the decision gets taken by the trustees. You know, advisors cannot take decisions necessarily on behalf of the trustees. So that's been a growing sort of grievance uh, across the industry, and maybe Tutuza can exp expand a little bit on that. But, um, you know, I think that's one significant area that I've seen consistently across a number of um, pension fund boards that I've interacted with, you know, coming up independently effectively. So I think in a sense, the industry is moving towards that direction of having sort of independent uh, advice or peer reviews uh, across their, you know, investment advice or within their actual valuation type um, advice. And the, some of the largest pension funds have actually put that in place. I think the ESCOM pension fund, for example, has a dual uh, consulting type model which works for them effectively. So, but I think Duduza can also sort of expand on that a bit. Okay, before Duduza expands on that, I think we can uh, pose a question to the audience. Uh, if all of you can maybe just click on the link uh, and we can pose the question. Uh, what is your sentiment around the current governance structure of pension funds? 
The options are uh, poor, yes, I did get the question right. Okay, great. Poor, uh, large scope for improvement. Okay, great. So we'll give you 30 seconds to answer that. Are all of you okay in terms of the link? Did, okay, do you, want, do you want the link back up? Okay, if we can just get the link back up with the pin. So the question is, what is your sentiment around the current governance structure of pension funds? Johan, do you want to jump on that? And governance structures. Yes. <laughs> I think that I think the concern for me, and and, and I, I speak as a trustee, um, is 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 simply that in order for a trustee to make a comfortable or a. Uh, solid responsible decision you need the trustee will need to have supporting legislation so so if if, if we're asking a, tr a trustees to um you know do something outside of regulation 28 or you know then then we're not going to get very far that's the, so that's the one that's the one part that needs to change the second part uh, is is simply in the infrastructure space, I mean, we should have ten different infrastructure fund managers that they can that can be selected from. With yeah, you know, that they have a, a track record that people have. Yeah, you know, that their trustees can have a look at the the teams. Right now, we don't have that. So when a, a, a responsible trustee sits down and try and, and looks at investing in infrastructure, it is more difficult than saying selecting an equity manager. So it, it is making it's making it more difficult, um, and and so that that supporting environment needs to be created in order for trustees to comfortably make make those decisions, and I th and I think that's really uh, you know where, where where the focus has been for 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 some of the some of the consulting uh, businesses, but where it needs to continue to be because there are very there are very good. <clears throat> Infrastructure projects, uh, very good infrastructure managers. They might not call themselves that, um, but the returns have have, have been uh, superb as well. I think we had a quote, uh, an infrastructure fund quoted a, a return of nine percent real over the last ten years, which is pretty pretty much unbeatable. Uh, you know, when you when comparing it, but but these sort of things need to become need to come to the fore for trustees to be able to make responsible decisions. Okay, great. Dudusa, if you want to speak to some of the results, 52.4% uh, voted okay. <laughs> I think everyone's in an okay mood, so perhaps speak to that. But that's the reality of, of yeah. the industry, um, and that's also the, it talks to the practicalities within those boards of um, trustees, because that is where most of the governance gets performed. Um, and it's also a, re a reflection of the makeup of our country. Because, um, okay, so I look at the great at 19%. Mm. Um, those will be mostly the affluent funds, for lack of a better word, where people are the people who sit down there are professionals. And the language of investments, of financial management, of governance and risk management is, comes naturally or is common and the service providers and the board speak the same language. There you will find that everything is great. Then you get to the majority of the funds in our country that are reflective of the nature of our um, country. So there you've got challenges and you've got um, lots of positives because most of those funds are made up of your ordinary people that are chosen by ordinary members of the funds and your more affluent chosen by either the sponsor of the fund or the employer if it's a standalone fund. The language spoken has not always been common. And I will also talk to the asset managers and asset consultants in this um, response. Um, you find that, oh, my experience has been that. When you get to that, those kinds of boards, the yellow boards, board of trustees, um, the service provider, it can be the actuary, 
with all due respect. <laughs> it can be the asset consultant or even the asset managers. When they walk into the, 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 the board to address them or to provide reports, they will most of the time hone in on the people that speak their language. And they will, for the entire time, speak to those people and walk out. The members who are not, um, or, or the, who are, who, whom the, the language is not their everyday language, walk into that board meeting or com committee meeting not understanding the pack that they were given, even if they, they can read it page to page. They walk out not understanding the decisions that were taken on their behalf. And because the times are limited, and most of these trustees get revolved. So they are there for maybe at the most four hours, four years, and they are gone and the new ones come. Even the service providers cannot keep up with the educating and the constant educating. So it is just a structure and the nature of how these boards are run that half the time work against the main objective of what the funds are supposed to achieve. Okay, Malizole, let's bring you in here. A large uh, scope for improvement, 28.6% voted for that. What do you have to say about that? <laughs> well, I mean, uh, fair comments. I think, look, uh, as I did mention, it's not as if, you know, the entire structure needs to be unbundled and sort of, you know, reworked from scratch. But I think the points that Duduza spoke to are very relevant and uh, there are grievances. I cannot necessarily, I'm not a trustee myself, so I cannot speak on their behalf, but uh, I can speak as an outsider looking at, you know, the broader sort of implications that this may have. But ultimately, I think the decisions need to be taken by the likes of trustees of each and every single individual board or the likes of uh, the Council for Retirement Funds, which is Batsita, to enact or improve governance measures alongside um, uh, players like the FSCA, the regulator, for example, um, you know, speaking to governance around King 4 as well as PF 130, for example, uh, there could be scope to improve uh, some of the, 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 the procedures within that space. Yeah. Okay. Johan, uh, let's speak about looking ahead. Uh, I know it's difficult to look ahead with so much volatility in the market, but uh, how do you see the infrastructure financing landscape changing, uh, you know, in, in, in a space of five years? Uh, I, th I think, firstly, just to connect with a point that Tadouza made, is it's not just the South African government that is spending less on infrastructure. That's Again, it's a worldwide phenomenon that governments don't have the same amount of money to spend on infrastructures. Uh, on infrastructure. So I think our case is, is, is rather acute and, and, and relative to the rest of the world, we actually did quite well in terms of infrastructure spend as a percentage of GDP post the financial crisis. Um, but it's a worldwide phenomenon that that uh, that that governments have less money to spend on infrastructure. Um, so what what we do see, uh, what what what, and it, it doesn't really require, you know, too much insight. But there will have to be more private sector commercial involvement in infrastructure, and in in, in funding infrastructure and in investing in infrastructure. Um, Governments are likely to need to focus more on creating the enabling environment and hopefully with DFIs plugging some of the gaps. Um, so as I said, you know, project preparation might be one of those gaps or um, investing at a slightly lower return uh, than, than, than the risk would suggest. So in, uh, but then using their influence to minimize their risk and uh, or minimize the risk. So. A lot of the a lot of the work I believe that needs to be done, and that has been done in certain aspects in in South Africa. So, is is to get the uh, the right institutions to focus on managing the risks, the appropriate risks, and 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 if if an institution like a DFI can manage certain risks, then allocate that risk to that that institution and allow them to manage that and 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 and. Hopefully they, they well they will get their return, but then their destiny is in their own hands. And the, but the commercial, the private sector needs to start. Uh, will have to get involved, um, and will require a commercial returns. And there's no reason why it can't be done. Um, we've seen that. We've seen that again, as I said, in the in the um, renewable um, energy in the IPP program, 
um, commercial investors have achieved significant commercial returns. Um, so there's, there, 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 there is that space if the, if the projects are designed correctly. But what we do see is um, a need for governments to focus more on creating the enabling environment to, to achieve this and, and commercial investors to actually uh, step up. What is your perspective on social impacting, given the fact that many say investing for social impacting uh, means a sacrifice on the, on the investors? That's, that's an interesting debate. So, <laughs> so, so, the, so I think that's the very reason that DFIs exist, is, is that if we are going to have a social impact agenda, somebody along the line is going to have to take a risk that is, that, that is or, or get a return that is not directly related to that risk. So if the DFIs can, uh, as I said, allocate, or, or that if they can manage the risks and provide the funding in that space, then they have a significant role to play. So there, is, there, there has to be a, a, yeah, a, a risk-return uh, risk mismatch and, and that's where DFIs can play a role and hopefully they can manage that risk better than commercial investors because of their, their influence with governments and their influence uh, you know, in other sectors. So that's, I, th I really think, where the DFIs can come in. For a commercial investor, um, to, ask them to, to ask a commercial investor to compromise on, um, on their returns, I think is gonna be, is gonna be difficult. And it's very difficult to, to, to do that and I don't think it's necessary either. Okay, uh, let's actually bring up another poll question. Uh, does everybody have the link and the pin before we bring up the question? Is everyone okay? Okay. Um, so the next question is, what is your opinion on prescribed assets? The options are good, maybe bad. Malizole, what do you have to say about prescribed assets? <laughs> <laughs> it's not my uh, it's not my uh, area of, uh, of uh, to comment on, but look, no, I think there's obviously been a lot of discussion across the board um, about prescribed assets. Uh, it may or may not come into force. Uh, obviously, it's something that had been put in, into place, uh, as I see the numbers come out now. So I should be careful sure. about what I say. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> but um, you know, it's something that had been put into place uh, in the 50s and was abolished in the late 80s. Uh, sorry, late 80s. Yes, I think 1989 it was abolished. Um, so it's not to say that if it would be put in place, it would necessarily follow that exact same regime. I mean, obviously there's been pressure from, from various parts of society to enact that, but the implications of uh, prescribed assets, which I think the rest of the industry are sort of reacting about, are the way that it would fundamentally transform uh, the SA financial services landscape. Independent fund managers, for example, didn't exist prior to 1989, so the likes of your coronations, etc., they sort of sprang off because so much money was effectively disinvested from the bonds that were prescribed uh, within the sort of regime at that stage. Uh, so it would have far-reaching implications, as well as there would be a mass effective sell-off on equities to fund uh, those bonds that are prescribed per se. But how that regime gets implemented, if it does get implemented, um, there is some room for variation around that. You could, for example, say to a pension fund, um, okay, you can invest 10% of your, you should invest 10% of your assets into, ex into these types of bonds, but depending on how you want to use that spend, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's margin for how much you can sort of play around with uh, in that space. So it's not just a black and white type of answer, um, you know, as to whether they should or should not implement that, you know, I sort of sit on the fence on that. Uh, it's not really my area to comment on. Um, you know, there are pros and cons as with everything, um, but I think, you know, we need to have a, a combined deep discussion about the implications for the broader society, for both financial markets, for the uh, pensioners who have their money invested in those uh, types of assets, as well as the broader sort of society. I think you can't have that, uh, that conversation in isolation alone. Do you, do you want to comment, Johan? Yeah. In the first comment, I mean, I, I think I agree with Malizole. There, there needs to be a much more nuanced discussion. Um, yeah, the, the, the first comment that I think that, you know, as a as a trustee with all this King Four stuff, uh, you know, what I often think about is that 
every investment that every decision that we that every investment decision that we make has a social impact and environmental impact and we don't actually measure that as well as the financial impact and so i think a good place to start is to actually look at saying yeah, i often look at king four and I, and I think well i think we're doing a great job at you know looking at, you know sort of measuring our financial impact but King Four doesn't say it's more important than social or environmental. It's, it, it, it rates it on a similar on a similar level, but we don't have the same technology to 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 measure those things. Um, so I think the first thing to say is that every decision that we're currently making does have a social and an environmental impact, and I'm not sure that we're actually very good at at measuring and monitoring that. So that's that's just a, a, an issue. On the prescribed asset side, I would like to think. Um, that the intention is to mobilize um, the four trillion rand retirement uh, capital in this country in order to make socially appropriate uh, uh, investments that yield a return. I, I would like to think that it's not necessary to have prescribed assets to make that happen. I'd like to think that the people in this room are critical um, to creating a, a, a way of achieving of, of achieving those objectives without the need for prescribed assets, I I, th I believe that it needs to happen. I'm, I'm just not sure that I, th I think we can probably find a better way if we do it. Uh, if we don't do anything about it, yeah, government has to act. So I don't know. I mean, I'd, I'd prefer to be proactive in this in this game. Great, Studus. I think you should jump in here because uh, the numbers, I mean, speak for themselves. Thirty-nine point five percent voted bad. So, what is the general consensus around prescribed assets? Um, the retirement funds industry, the investments management, operate in a prescribed environment. Mm -hmm. Regulation twenty-eight is a prescription mm -hmm. of how we must invest. But I think the reaction was more based on the fact that when this kind of investment was introduced to the industry, it was in a sort of an, a bureaucratic uh, manner that said, you know, instructions from top to, to bottom. You, you know, this is what's going to be done, rather than an engaging. That was the initial introduction to the industry that we are aware of. But we have since engaged further with government whilst it was intimating prescription um, very strongly at the beginning and they have come to realize that we are actually willing partners and we we will be persuaded we just need to make sure that the basics are in place to ensure that we do not compromise member savings for something that is that here today, gone tomorrow, for, for lack of a better um, description. So we, we've got our own voice that we've started to now um, make known as an industry to say that whilst we understand the, the dire need for this investment and for this infrastructure development and for impact investing, we also would like to make sure that our fiduciary duties are taken care of and they continue. And that we are answerable to our members the way we should be. So like any other new initiative, we would like to see the next steps because the infrastructure development is no longer just talk. It's now, it now has to be action. Otherwise, what we see um, out, outside in our, especially black townships, and the Johannesburg CBD and all mm -hmm. the other um, 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 areas of especially Gauteng is going to continue and is going to get worse. So something needs to give. So we are no longer now saying that we want to just talk about it. We've accepted that it needs to be done. Whether it's prescribed or not, if it's prescribed, it needs to be prescribed within the parameters that are enabling for the retirement funds industry to strive. To, to, to progress. We are saying that the engagement of all the stakeholders needs to happen now, like, like this engagement that's happening now and the others that have started happening in the previous week, Cape Town, Durban. Um, we are saying that 
you know, these engagements, they need to ensure that the project innovators and managers that come on board are cognizant of the intricacies of this industry. And they bring projects forth that they will not necessarily give us the returns that blow the lights, but they must need, meet a need and still give us a decent return. We need to make sure that the asset consultants and asset managers are also able to meet their mandates. So we must not compromise on that. We need to make sure that the actuaries also do not now get to worry about whether the assets and liabilities match going forward and whether it's sustainable or not. So everybody needs to bring their argument forth because all these people will be talking in aid of ensuring that board of trustees meet their mandate for the members of their funds. Okay, we're running out of time, but I just quickly have to ask the question around how important it is. You know, we always have these conversations about how the private sector needs to work with government uh, on various projects, but how important is it to actually consider working with government on infrastructure projects, given the fact that it's lacking so much in South Africa and on the African continent? We are doing it already. Batseta has partnered with government and I'm sure Treasury as well, and, all, and, and the FSEA, we are talking already, we are strategizing, and we, so the importance argument has, has been bedded down. Now it is action. So we are already engaging to make sure that this infrastructure in, uh, investing requirement and the impact investing is relevant to both the communities and the retirement funds industry. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much to all my panelists. Do we have time for some questions? Uh, if anyone from the audience would like to pose a question to one of our panelists, you can just pick up your hand and they'll bring you a mic. There's one here in front. Thanks a lot. It was a great discussion. Just um, on the government's um, renewable energy program, I mean, that's world class. It's a great example of actually... Uh, mobilizing capital into uh, renewable energy projects. Is there any discussion around whether that same model and program could just be extended within the infrastructure space? It's just a literally copy and paste kind of thing, um, almost to just catalyze and just, um, uh, because of the criticism I think from a CSA is that um, there's not a, a government hasn't actually set out that program and that framework. Um, so perhaps is there any discussion around that um, when you when you discuss with you know when you lobby or discuss with national treasury? Um, the discussion that we are having is yes to look at the successes um, that have been achieved so far, but we are looking at the broader South African need. So um, renewable energy is one, but one of the. Um, investment opportunities that are there, but just focusing on renewable energy because it is a success, it's still not helping the fact that there is such a dire need across the board in the country. So yes, we are engaging on that. Um, hi, thank you for, for the session, very informative. Um, one thing that I always struggle with uh, from an infrastructure perspective is the vehicle of investment. Uh, historically, we've had you know, some of the construction companies, uh, but we've seen the construction sector pretty much shrink. A lot of those companies are now in business rescue with all sorts of problems there. Um, the other method of investment, uh, I suppose, is, uh, is debt. But you know, you you get a lot of the credit risk um, without necessarily getting um, you know justifiable returns. When you look at some of the longer dated uh, government bond yields, uh, you know which are more marketable than than, than some of these uh, uh, bridge financing. So I don't know what your 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 views are on. Uh, on the future of investing in infrastructure and what vehicles will be there. Um, and even including it in your portfolio, you actually struggle to do that because there isn't uh, a lot of credible data. Um, it's not as simple as equity where you've got so many indices where you can model it and sort of try and understand how it will behave in your portfolio. 
Um, so, so I think that is one area that, well, not one area, but you know, that's one of the areas that I always find uh, challenging with uh, infrastructure. Okay, Han, will you pick that comment. up? Yeah, I, I think the uh, you're. I mean, I, I agree with that. That the and one of the points to try to make is is, is to make the industry or uh, or infrastructure investment similar in a way in, in terms of having all the tools to be able to invest uh, as you would with other asset classes. Um, so indices, uh, you know, risk return measurements uh, and that sort of stuff. By the way, there's a, for the actuarial profession, there's a, an opportunity there uh, in terms of the, the modeling of um, infrastructure projects uh, it's, and the valuation of infrastructure projects. Um, and and to make that uh, to make that more transparent and accessible, at this point in time, um, there I mean there there are some successful investors in infrastructure in the in the debt and equity. Uh, the, there's a split between the the debt and the equity, um, and they're getting very accessible long-term inflation-linked uh, returns. I think it can certainly improve. I think the structuring of that can be can be improved. But I think part of that needs to be taken into account in terms of how do we, how do we set up infrastructure vehicles um, rather than try to plug infrastructure into our current frame of thinking. So, you know, okay, because I've spent time doing that, you know, try to dress up an investment as debt because currently it says, yeah, it's debt. And then you dress up another part of that same investment as equity. Um, just because we're trying to fit uh, uh, an infrastructure investment into our current uh, uh, paradigm. So th there are certainly people doing, doing, you know, make, making good investments, making quality investments, and, and getting good returns, long-term long inflation-linked returns. But their transparency, I would totally agree with you, needs to improve with the indices, um, you know, the, 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 the support. And, and we need a lot more fund managers that can actually do that. We have time for one more question. Two? Okay, we'll so, take you as well. Uh, that that won't be a good investment for a retirement fund, David. <laughs> I, I, I think I think I think. Sorry. Well, well, I, th I think let's take the example of the, yeah, and this is why allocating risk to you know to the party that can manage it is critically important, and I think that's probably where the renewable energy program got it right. Now that's not a you know it, it, we're not saying everybody everything must look like that, but there was a lot of thinking about you know where can risk be allocated and where can risk be managed. So a private sector investor that you know is, is running a wind farm, you know in the Eastern Cape has got no control over whether you know somebody uh, you know in a remote village pays the electricity bill. So that risk is assumed not by the developer but by ESCOM because they're in a better position to manage that risk. Not ideal, I mean, I'm, it's not perfect. But I'm saying that's the role that government can play, and it, 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 it's, it's, it, it plays into the sort of actuarial model of thinking in terms of, in terms of you know, allocating risk appropriately to minimize, you know, so if you look at the picture holistically, you, you minimize systemic risk rather than, than specific risk. So I, I, I don't think that, you know, Exposing pension funds to a type, to a risk that they cannot manage is responsible, but there are other agencies that can manage that and should put their balance sheet behind managing the risk that they have been allocated to. Um, hi, um, yeah, I just wanted to make, like, ask a question on a point that was made earlier on. Um, you know, as a professional, I was struck by the comment that was made. Uh, by Umama that said that most of the trustees don't actually understand um, what you know is being explained to them, especially the technical aspect side of it. Um, you know, like I, you know, attend a lot of these trustee meetings. I present and then I leave, and I assume that things are sort of understood and decisions are made in, you know, um, in, in 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 with understanding. So I wanted to know: um, Are there um, any? you know, initiatives that BATSITA is doing um, from a trustee education point of view and um, for consultants, you know, what, what, and what initiatives or 
measures or considerations should be made when you know presenting to a board um, so that you know what you're putting in front of them um, they understand okay. or engage uh, with them you know in in a you know in yes. a, in, a, in in that way yeah, yeah. Um, it's very poignant for you to say you come you present you leave and you assume that everything is okay because that's exactly the culture um, it starts with the basics. I'll first answer the, the question about Batseta. Batseta has monthly forums for, aimed at trustees. Okay, two steps back. Every trustee is now required to have the basic knowledge of what we call the toolkit. And that is a, a, an initiative by the FSCA to ensure that even when you come on board, new as a trustee, knowing nothing about the industry, you can at least get the basics of governance management, the requirements of how to conduct yourself as a trustee and how to empower yourself with knowledge. Because you've got every, uh, the, the, the responsibility and accountability is equal for everybody who sits around that table. But the practicality is that the people who sit on that board from the member elected side are workers. They are employed. And this is not how they earn their income. And this is not what their employers consider that as their area of expertise. So that is the first challenge. We, as the Batseta, make sure that we get as much time from the employer's payroll to try and empower these trustees to make sure that they at least understand the basics. But investments, um, asset consulting, actuarial reports, financial reports, those are very technical um, aspects of running a board that a member will not learn by having a two hours or one hour um, every now and then, and maybe there are weekends. Um, um, invested in, in equipping themselves. So it also takes you as the asset consultant. Are you an asset consultant? Yeah. It also takes you as an asset consultant to build a relationship. At least you've got three years with this board if you are appointed to it. Have a relationship with your board. Engage with the board. Know who they are. I bet most asset consultants and even investment consultants come to boards, they present to them and they walk away. They only know one person, maybe the chairperson or the chairperson of investments. Get to know the people because if you engage with them, you will also pick up where the nuances are. If you engage them, even in the, because most of these people will not even ask you a question. But if you talk to them and you lock eyes with them and you engage them and you ask them a question, maybe even by name, they will respond and you will be able to see where the gaps are. And your own time may be invested in trying to make sure that you up the understanding of these um, uh, trustees over and above just a report that you sent in will also add value. We'd just like to thank our panelists. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for contributing to the conversation. Uh, we just have something small to give to you. If I can just get my stuff over here. Thanks, Tanto. This is when I ask how much, because <laughs> I have to declare. <laughs> thank you, Duduza. Thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Johan. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Thanks for contributing to the conversation.